Consider um, the structure or the general mode of our practice, Dhamma practice. There's a sense of it being motivated, driven, steadily careening along, bouncing off the edges, dodging cars, or it could be um, gliding. That sense of, of you know of motivation and moving along, some enthusiasm and losses of that, and occasional panics and so forth. Kind of this say this volitional element. We also recognise that it's also held. It's driven and it's held. It's held. You might say it's held by precepts. It's held by a, a sense of integrity. It's held by um, physical situation. Held by companionship. Um, held by faith in, in the triple gem. So it's, it's held. And it's driven, carried along. These are... Um, these... These are two particular um, forms of how sankara manifests um, conditionality, condition, conditionality, and to recognise, you know, there's uh, um, skillful and unskillful, and we can't abandon it. We have to. Um, use the skillful to clear out the toxic or the unskillful uh, driven driving volitional urges and holding mm. holding we might say is to do with attention manasikara what we where we which in a way establishes our, our frame of reference our scope within which the mind operates at any particular time. It can be a breath, or a mood, or a project that we're doing. You know, we, we give our attention to it, and that's on our screen, either prominently or kind of background. And most of us probably have you know, background stuff, and then foreground stuff, and we oscillate between the two. You know, how am I doing, and then how's my friends, or how's the monastery, or how this day 
in in reference to my life or something like that. And it's quite useful to do that because you can get a bit sometimes you get too lost in one aspect of attention, you know, the pinpoint, and one misses the larger picture. Or one uh, opposite can also be true. You know, it's less likely that one um, you know gets lost in the larger thing. You tend to get which makes us a little more kind of laid back. You know, things are happening. Ten years ago I was like this, now I'm like that. Um, but it can also be a feeling of, of fatalism can go along with that when it's negative. The world is like this, stuck in this planetary existence with people blowing each other up. And what's the point of all this? And you would come back to the particular, like, I can breathe in. <laughs> I can breathe out, you know. <coughs> I can think one loving thought about my father, you know, even though, even though most of my life I hated his guts. <laughs> you, know, you think, this particular time, whatever, you know, so you can actually get down the, the specifics of attention. Thing. Well, I, you know, I can't say I really like this person continually, but for this particular time I can focus on one aspect of their behavior and think this is okay with me, you know, or whatever. So then we, we kind of need to know when the big picture gets toxic and the small point is useful or when the small point gets too um, um, obsessive you know got to get this I'm not doing it right because this isn't right you know and you get too obsessive about the small point you lose the bigger picture hey there's something bigger happening here that you can rest back in mm. so the See how I mean these different levels of this particular uh, attention experience that holds us. You know, when you get meditation, the meditation theme doesn't work, then you've got to be able to kind of have something bigger to 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 rest back in. Uh, we might say reflections, sense of being welcome, being trusted, being good. Um, you know, without making too too refined, you know, a, a, approaching that with too kind of picky and attention, because the idea is to, to use these sankharas as supports. They are conditioned, and the subject they are they are they're not um, ultimate truths, but they are supportive conditions. Same with volition, intention, you know, intention to to meditate. Or to develop what's skillful, and you know, um, then one can get too uh, forceful with that. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to get enlightened by next week, or develop the jhanas by next Tuesday, or something like that. You know, get too too thrusting about it, without recognizing. Yeah, you know, just apply yourself and let these things unfold as they will. Mm. So our volitional quality may even, you know, be you know, obviously toxic when we're do just driving ourselves nuts into uh, things that don't give us any you, any any benefit at all. Fantasies um, stuck in rage or or in sorrow or in aversion, or greed. And these are just eating us up. You know, you can feel them kind of corroding the heart. 
on in things that are relatively skillful in their topic, you know, such as the developed Dharma practice, but actually still have a, a whiff of this uh, toxicity about them, whereby they become desperate or conceited or obsessive. Mm. And not, not enough trust there. Mm. So operating with these, these, you know, contemplating these, these facets of our practice. Mm. Particularly, the ability to move to the larger, the larger picture with something that, where, with, where the what we call devotional um, um, mood, reflective and devotional mood, is aroused, which is very useful for both holding the larger thing and also giving one a sense of, you know, being on a vehicle that has a momentum to it, that we just learn how to stay within the vehicle and, and, you know, stay with that and tune it, that the thing carries us. So this devotional sense, which is, is a very useful way of, of going to the larger picture. Um, you know, one is, you know, the, the triple gem, uh, the sense of, of letting one's Identity, one's sense of self, merge into the larger picture of sangha, of the community of practitioners. Um, feeling a sense of the Buddha almost as the personification of Dhamma, you know, uh, which is uh, the Buddha sometimes described himself in this way, not just his particular bodily form or personality, but see him as the someone who is a um, uh, you know, like a personification of the teachings. So it helps us to get a sense of, you know, these are not just abstract, these are livable, these are these can take on human form. And uh, and there's a variety of forms for that. Mm. And so because these forms, Buddha forms are not um, you know, they're not male or female for example actual Buddha forms, you know, like, like Lukavidu, knower of the worlds, um, incomparable teacher, awakened, awakener, um, skillful conduct. So, you know, and this is really what Buddha Nusati is about, that you know, Buddha images themselves didn't appear for a, you know, three or four hundred years until the historical Buddha passed away and the Buddha himself wasn't very keen it seems on having physical representations. So they originally used to have just things like stupas and, and sun symbols and dumber wheels and empty spaces to represent Buddha. And you kind of it gives you the opportunity to fill in, you know, your own um, you know your own metaphors if you like, into that particular you know, area. So, so you can, you vidyakavichara, you really conceive and visualize and portray and imagine and flesh out and, and bring your own heart's sense of dharma into that place and build and build it up. You know, and this can be taken quite literally as almost like visualizing images of of what one understands: the good, the wise, the pure, the joyful, the truthful, the, the incomparable leader one who can guide one accurately. You want that, you could imagine that looking like 
or perhaps if not looking like, then emotionally sensing it. Mm. So it's kind of one has that opportunity. You know, you've got some parameters of what Buddha is, but then you can actually, mm, you know, it's empty enough one to build up one's own references. Um, and the use of that is that in that building it up yourself, it becomes part of what you are. It's like you've given your, you've given your um, emotive colouring and portrayal and, and actual you know, cognitive and, and dumb attention to a, to a space that's got some, you know, it's a big picture, but it's not very, you know, it's not got, all the details are not filled in, it's left deliberately kind of empty. So then the more you give yourself to doing that, then that, that Buddha, that Buddhaness, is like, you know, part of what you are because you've put yourself into it. So it's very bonded, and then it acts as a, as a kind of a refuge. Mm. Myself, I consider sort of, mm, things like the, um, the Vichara Champana, uh, the mm, Vichara Sampano, the very the flawless, the one who is fully accomplished in clarity and in in behaviour. Mm this way seems to encompass both the conventional realms uh, you know action and karma and also the clear seeing through that and maybe you know one only takes one little bit of, of Buddha and just develops it and, you know, what does this mean to me and how am I like that and what do I you know, give to that or respect that and live it out so you really kind of embody that in your own way of life mm. There are many, many things we, particular things, phrases we might pick up. Just think of the ocean-like compassion um, expression. Or like the sun uh, awakening the lotus. sense of something that touches and warms the heart very gently. So you don't just rip the lotus open. Or bash the lotus into shape until it should be a rose. It's just kind of like <laughs> says, you know, whatever your particular flower is, I'll just give my warmth and light to that and let it let it open. You know, and wake up to its own qualities because it's in the opening that we're we we are we united, not in the particular nature of our our blooms, as it were. <laughs> So it's a bigger picture, and also the bigger picture of, of Dharma practice, meditation practice, and it's important to be able to 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 do that to find one's you know to imprint into into these um, structured but not completely filled in forms. You know, there are certain parameters of what it's about: the four foundations of mindfulness. And so on, and it, you know, mental body, um, mind, but then really to, to fill in those with your own um, experience and your own aspiration. So that the more um, that you've you, you given yourself to that and, and applying your own experience to that, then the holding of that of those meditation systems becomes more powerful 
because they're not just something out there in a, in a book or someone, somebody else like myself is teaching you because you say fine, okay, that's interesting I get the, the structures there and it's nice to hear somebody that's the way somebody experiences it you feel a sense of something really you know, it's the way they live it and it feels for them okay, now, you know, keeping that you know, thing on the screen now, you know, what's my body sense feel like? I know it's about body sense. What's my breathing process feel like? What's my um, sense of connection feel like? When am I feel sense of really being with something? What's my way of, of easing and calming? What's my way of, of challenging habit? Mm. You know, dull, automatic behavior. How do I do that? Uh, and so one begins to love one's practice because it becomes um, almost something one gets a sense of devotion for. You know, it's it's not exactly oneself because that one, you, know, you can't really be devoted to yourself. But then again, it's not separate from you. It's dependently arisen from all that is good externally and all that's good internally. So, in this way of this kind of, of conditionality one is able to formulate and find uh, uh, a realm of comfort, of, of firmness, of joy, you know, of clarity. Mm. So and this is really quite essential in the maturation of the process. Mm. So that we are held in our holding. We, we feel ourselves held by what we have allow what we have infused mm, into our modes of attention so, so by focusing on body or whatever then then what I do to do that you know, what enables me to do that I, I actually recognize that what, what enables me to do that I recognize that I acknowledge that um, and then that is the lifeblood, you know, the living, personal quality of of, of the practice. Uh, and then, then in, indeed, because it's something that's just not abstract or theoretical, or somebody else's, you, you can really feel connected to that, and also the sense of of uh, loving it, uh, admiring it, enjoying it, looking after it, caring for it, building it up. Until um, it becomes big enough to carry you, well, like having a child, I guess. You know, it's eventually, you know, fond wishes that by the time I'm kind of shot to pieces, that uh, you know your kids will look after you. Sort of thing. And actually, in the in the realm of Dhamma, this really happens. You know, in the social world, it doesn't always happen. Your kids tend to buzz off and leave you. <laughs> <laughs> In the realm of Dhamma, then your children are, the, are these um, skillful factors that one has created through one's intention and through one's attention. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And perhaps, you know, we can also look at that in terms of our Sangha process. And I must admit, you know, now, you know for me, there's a some real sense of regret there because yeah, here I am, 26 reigns, and then 
you know, next monk down is going to be, you know, getting 15, 16 or so. You know, and then the nuns, you know, so you've got a big gap there. One recognises, well, there's only about five or six people who survived. <laughs> you know, so at this level, you know, there's a, you know then you're going to get a, a level of more people who made it like 15 on down, we seem to be finally getting more of a feeling for what Sangha might be about. But not many people made it, you know, you're getting people around the 20s. Vasas, you know, a lot of people just, some, you know, fell out um, in one way or another. And sometimes it's a bit like, you know, you feel everybody the more that one feels a sense of, of concern, affection, and response, and inspiration, and so forth with his fellow summoners, the more you a sense of little holes left. You know, a bit of gruyere cheese sometimes. It's literally there'll be just an old rind left here. <laughs> Remember the, you know, the whole kind of um, one theme of practice is certainly is about doing it on your own. And as I say, do I delight in solitude or not? And so the opportunities for people to practice in solitude. This is um, where I started, practicing in a monastery, practicing solitude. None of the people I was with survived. You know. So, you know, yeah, you can be physically alone, you know, uh, whether uh, one is really uh, able to generate what it takes to hold yourself is, not, is um, another matter. You know. And I think sometimes that is not really fully understood. That very often we hold ourselves with ourselves, not with our Dharma practice, but, or with the fruits of it, but with our own, with our um, busyness and our drives and occupations. So, I mean, because certainly my own life, because I spent a lot of time on my own, you know, as a as a young person, as a child, a young person, and I was always to hold myself with things I could do, think, and powerful enough mind to think think and imagine and so forth. So I could always be occupied and happy on my own. And maybe it's just something like that, not necessarily a dumber skill, but a worldly skill, enables me to survive um, without really needing much input from others. Everybody can do that. That's not, I wouldn't say that's a, it's a, uh, a virtue by itself, because of course, it, you know, Notice in my own case, it can mean that certain qualities of, of defense and um, separateness are not really investigated. Mutuality is not necessarily experienced. Mm. So it's a, uh, you know, 
holding oneself on one on one's own in solitude really is um, not just being able to hold out. Uh, which well, I think we can do, um, and, and you know, maybe that's a saving grace in some some respects. But uh, uh, like all the people who are not here, you know, we're able to hold out uh, for a while mm. um, through being somebody or being something or doing something or whatever, but really not necessarily having generated the kind of Field of support, dumb support that holds one when one can't hold anymore. When one, you know, when the, some of the self-holding begins to wear out, this is where we need to have something that holds us: our faith, our sense of trust, our sense of okayness, a sense of love, and being loved being trusted mm. and this may not be uh, an issue for many, some of you who are, who are at the first stages of uh, you know when it's all nice and interesting and so on <laughs> but uh, I think it's important to, be, to begin to acknowledge you know there is a holding beyond one's self that must be grown into if yourself doesn't last that long. So Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha—the sense of, of which I feel more, much more, quality mutuality and ability to 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 be mutual, interdependent, to listen, to share, to practice together, to value others, um, to uh, feel valued by other people's presence, and certainly in monastic form. We can find ourselves being with others because by accident you know, they happen to be here, you know, or um, the, the valuing is done in a kind of conventional way, you know, and then it's always you value the person at the top, you know, and all that kind of thing. So it's actually whether one values them or not, you do this thing ceremonially, uh, and the sense of really intervaluing, I feel, is very important. Doesn't mean you know adulation, but a sense of really respecting, as I do, um, you know how I notice particularly the changes in some of the more you know people who come more recently because of the changes are more dramatic when you you see people coming from you know fairly um, you know outwardly held lives and sometimes quite muddled or confused. In the first few years, actually, find the quality of a of a green ripening within, and that uh, makes them look healthy at last, and uh, inwardly illuminated rather than outwardly fixated. Yeah. And this is very, I find this very uplifting. 
you to recognize you know, you know practice is not a personal matter it's something that affects human beings you know, and this goodness and the ability to commit is not a personal matter it's something humans can do and do do and it does give these results independently of even some of the most ghastly karmic positions people come from and it begins to hold in a way that they could never hold before and sometimes one forgets that you know because the sense of I am appropriates the whole of the practice and everything as being the, the author of all all these things which is really a contributor not, not the author not, in, not irresponsible either but it's definitely a contributor and the other big factor is what I call you know, the, the larger picture and how one you know, makes that more than a picture of actually a living context that you touch and breathe with and it can, you can embody it and feel it in your body and you can get your, your, your mental states to, to follow it Mm. You know, saying that example of the, you know, of the nun with the with the mental problems, they just say to her, "Take the refuges, the precepts immediately." And she'd come out of a manic state. You know, she had something there that would actually pull all the others into line. You know, and it's quite wonderful, really. It's something terribly afflictive karma. Till you get someone, you know, like, like Ajahn Mun, and it was said of Ajahn Mun that the defilements were frightened of him. <laughs> you look at him up on the wall, you could understand if you were, you were a defilement, <laughs> you'd certainly be frightened of him. You know. His stuff could actually, you know, some of the defilement was looking for somewhere to go, it'd take a sniff at Ajahn Mun and run away. <laughs> the ability for that, you know, that quality of refuge be so powerful it actually just does not it's like hot like a hot plate repels drops of water it just it flies off uh, and so this is this is not you know one could say it's certainly oneself and yet it's not it's not only that one is one is operating within a context and one has um, tempered and modulated and and rewired intimate experience you know, of, of conditionality mutual conditionality <coughs> so when we are practicing apparently in solitude it's very much the time to you know to don't do that, you know, how do I relate to things? Uh, you know, what can I, I trust in myself? What do I admire in myself? You know, what do I, you know, to actually enhance those rather than what can I criticize about myself? Um, you know, there may be, you know, if we can't actually develop the sense of admiration, then perhaps the sense of criticism should be laid aside until we've got something there. <laughs> As if you, you know, if you're empty and shot away already, you don't need any more. You don't need any more kind of paring down. You need to have something to hold you up. You know. 
and then taking that and dwelling upon it and lingering in it and meditating on it and walking with it and sitting with it until it becomes something that you you really feel is your your friend who won't let you down these this is the levels of of um, dhamma as conditionality conditions for our support And it leads to this quality of the the purified chitta, which is a, a condition, conditional experience. Purified chitta really relates to um, a very primary level of conditioning. So, if we take the experience of conditions in certain you know, layers, and we we'll mustn't make too much about these things as being totally quite separate and, you know, uh, kind of too structural. But you can see there's what we say, conditions that um, one can hold with attention and be get motivated by a first level, of course, the external level, you know, which is uh, things we see and touch and taste, uh, things we think about. And this is what we call it a very coarse level. Um, it has apparent objective existence. Things we can think about, people, things we can touch, you know, things we can, and these can motivate us, can't they? We can be driven with greed, or with love, or with fear. We can be repelled and held back with disgust, or contempt. Mm. And so, you know, and recognizing that, you know, we our our experience gets 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 um, changed by this contact with such things. And we also, as we contemplate a little bit further, we realize that, that yeah, these things do have objective existence, but it's funny how you know three people living in the same place would not actually concur as to what was going on. Yeah, the, the, one's attention picks up and makes much of certain aspects you know, and then doesn't misses out on other bits, and another person will see other aspects. So we can say, even at this level of apparent objective existence, there's a tremendous amount of mutuality about that. You know, certain things that my mind picks up and focuses on are blazingly, you know, apparent. Other person sees a vague glimmering. What's he on about? You know, um, <laughs> you know, so, and, and so on. And so that you know that the, the the fact that that arises and becomes something that holds my attention is, you know, is my bit of it, if you see what I mean. So I'm, certain things are meaningful to me, they hold my attention. Certain things I feel a quality of volition arises around a sense of, oh, do something about that, or, um, you know, there's a, there's a resonance there. Other things, nothing much happens, you know. And so this is the level, you know, which you get two kinds of contact. You see this contact. There's also what's called designation contact. There's the kind of actual, what we might say, the sensory impression, which is called resistance, you know, which is basically something pings on you. And there's designation, which is the sense of something becomes, strikes you inwardly, becomes meaningful. 
you know, you get an inward kind of resonance rather than just the sensory it gets into you and this stirs you up in one way or doesn't so these two kinds of contact and around all that particularly the significant thing actually is the designation contact because that's, that's the thing that, that enters you you know, a, and um, you know, becomes your meaning becomes what's meaningful for you or valuable for you or important for you uh, of the thousands and thousands of contact sense contact impressions in a day that you know there's maybe five that become extremely meaningful you know and 12 that are fairly meaningful and a lot are just you know gone in a few seconds so this particular thing you know is is significant because then it becomes part of how we are wired up it perhaps tells us how we are how our wiring is how our senses, how our receptors are it informs us you know. one must recognise it then as, as also to keep it informative rather than um, oppressive See, this is not actually a picture of objective reality this is trying to tell you you know, about something, you know, how you're wired and that to bear in mind that this is conditional and this level of what we might call inner conditionality is the most fruitful area to change. You know, we can change external sense contact, you know, we move around, go places, avoid this, forget that and so on. But the most fruitful of course is, is the inner uh, wiring, what stirs us or annoys us or makes us feel we can't do, what makes us feel we've got to do, we've got to get on with, and what gladdens us. You know. So we just begin to define that, and this takes us, helps us to understand this second level, which is of conditionality, which is the level of when we've got internal. <coughs> Um, physiological experiences, say the, the physical physiological tonality, like whether well, it's bright, strained, uh, flat, you know, so intensely buzzing that you can hardly stay on the ground, or so intensely flat you can hardly get off the ground, um, you know, or, or up and down. This kind of physiological stuff, which is. You know, partly it's to just do with the body's metabolism and hormones and uh, whether you've eaten a meal and so on. But then we can take it just as that, as just purely dependent upon external um, agencies or agencies that we don't feel we can penetrate. You know, I can't do anything about my sleep rhythms or, you know, so on. But also recognizing, you know, there's two levels of contact there. One is, if you like, a subtle level of the same form of, of just, you know, contact that, that's, um, you know, objective, you know. And some things are about uh, contact which is to do with what really grabs me, you know, how I'm affected by low energy, and I feel depressed by it, inadequate by it how I'm affected by high energy when I feel suddenly intense and I've got to do lots of things or push everything around, you know, 
Is it, or can I just acknowledge, oh, this is high energy, this is low energy, you know, this is, say, not, not feeling very well. I don't, have to, I don't have to start getting into death fantasies and depression and, and interpret that as some sort of spiritual process, you know, because I've got low energy and think of cessation as some sort of glory, glorious thing when it's really just coming out of one's feeling of depression. So, you know, you, you really see that the, you know, what's meaningful, where the meaning is in this this thing, and this is actually giving one a, a good signal as to um, some of what, what's occurring on a on a more primary level than that, the level of citta, which is the basic level, you know, which is the f- formulation, the very formulation, the the almost the coding of one's parent self, the codes of that, if you like, like genetic codes. And so this is called the substrate sometimes, um, which means the kind of bottom layer, substrate. So you, 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 know, you have this level of the, the jitta is the kind of the quality or the, the general sense that holds all that as, as an entity. And from from that, then these um, jitta level, um, then various moods and thoughts and emotions come arising up, and we tend to um, not really penetrate where they're coming from. So just <coughs> so you've got what's called kaya refers really to the first course level. You know, or settling back in terms of bodily embodiment experience, the physical, apparently physical experience, say, being able to be, you know, un, uh, not blown away by external sense impingement, or, or or recoiling from it, but at one's ease, you know, in the presence or the absence of of external contact, bodily in a bodily sense. Chittivivaka refers to being able to be settled back and find a level of, of comfort um, within the flow of emotional, mental, psychological processes to the point in which they become purified. Or they, you know, and the purification is really rather like you've got, um, you know, it's not insecticide, it's not something where you're wiping everything out, but really you've got a leader there and the other energies start to come around. You know, rather like you've got the, the head sheep or something. Uh, and the others start to all milling all around all over the field, doing all kinds of crazy things. Start to get, hey, there's something bigger here. Bigger, woolly, nice. And... <laughs> comfortable, let's follow this one, you know, so they start to pull around and get, get in line with the head sheep, um, rather than running all over the place and eating thistles and doing crazy things. So it's in, I think this is useful to realise that the purification of mind really um, comes around from having a central quality of mental goodness, you know, and, you know, it's not about exterminating every other thing in, in the field but about gradually transmuting you know, uh, that all those you know, emotional, psychological energies so they, they come around 
and say this is really process which in broad terms he calls samadhi um, you know which is not just a simple act of holding something together but really gathering and providing a place where things can gather whether it's a big place a body place a thought place a prayer place you know whether it's a walking place you just you know you find you find your place and you gather together there and I like to you know emphasize that because of course there are many there are models of of, of where samadhi is generated um, you know breathing in and out in the body um, various forms of kamatana a super kamatana contemplation of the less attractive the inner aspects of the body uh, walking meditation there are many areas for developing samadhi um, and because of that it gives us the, the idea that you know rather like with our Buddha image you've got certain parameters there certainly it's about wholesomeness it's about goodness it's about holding about steadying you know, it's about developing skills and and uh, and then you know vitaka vichara the ability the mind to probe hold visualize imagine work it out you know play with it you know so it's a really quite an active thing um, so you've got this parameters of the field and parameters of the agency parameters of the field which is to do our, our attention span you know and that can change but you're finding a, a comfortable span for your attention that sankara and in a, a way in which your your intentionality your volition can work and bringing these two together is what is, the, is about samadhi. You know, it provides uh, a place where, which is our own, and we can gather. I can gather my particular um, energies, my my moods, my um, physiological stuff, my kaya sankaras, my jitta sankaras will trot along reasonably happily with this particular. Ram or whatever it is, you know, and have a few of them. So that's you know, and in that process, then you know what what's the second level of 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 um, conditionality is really um, you know, crucial to 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 feel com to feel good with to feel comfortable with. Because this is a level whereby some the healing of of jitta can occur. Jitta feels good. So you know, they were able to understand what upadi viveka or at least begin to approach Upadi Viveka. Upadi Viveka refers to the substrate, which means um, this, this kind of very primary um, patterned process you know, of being. You know, all, these, all these words are very tentative, you know, but it's difficult to, to, to use words at a level that, that is not common knowledge or common language. But this is the most important, actually, because this is...
areas. And it's a sense that is the most uh, dominant, uh, all continuing, pervasive, and yet mysterious. It seems to have no particular features that we can locate, and yet it comes up. And it's 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 um, its changes uh, are mysterious. The sense of the basic sense of I am. And this is what is the, the ground for rebirth or for further existence, put it that way. So this is the important one because this is where the seeds or the codes of previous existence are embedded and this is where um, propagates the seeds for future existence. And so for many people this is an area that is not even known about, let alone entered into. <coughs> and so in, in Dharma practice where this becomes where the second level of conditionality is, is so crucial is because it's there that we start to generate a kind of holding and a quality of volition and intention that becomes much increasing less and less something that I am doing so when it becomes less and less something I am doing and more something I dwell in then the sense of I am can start to come out of its pattern. So in that second level of Jitta Viveka and working with the, the, uh, the Sankharas on this level, the condition elements on this level, we are in fact starting to, to with our own initiative and our own inspiration, applying them to conventional external parameters, taught and instructed parameters, begin to generate something that's not exactly me and not exactly not me, but it's, a, it's like our Dharma child or our, our home, our, our residence. And then as we do that, we're able to, to relax within that and start to let that lead us and carry us. And this is significant because it's only with this, well I say only with this, but you know, I would maybe modify that, but as far as I would say, you know, it's, it's through that that the, the quality of I am can, is no longer leading, no longer directing. You know, it may be resident, but it's no longer the house. It's no longer the, the leader. The Dharma practices the leader. And then one be able to actually contemplate the sense of I am, or acknowledge it, and um, begin to perhaps come out of its patterns, recognize there are patterns. So we might, I might say, for example, you know, um, I can begin to recognise more in my own through my own practice over the years how you know, a very powerful um, pattern in myself is a sense of, you know, um, I, I do this, I hold it together, I make this work. It's up to me. 
a tendency to rely on others is 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 limited. Um, there has been some use in that, <laughs> and others fall apart. <laughs> but it can heighten uh, a subtle level of of um, you know egocentricity or or you know, which is quite useful self reliance, you know, a useful thing. But the problem is that one is then somehow not decoding that particular message. You know. Here I am doing it, here I am in charge of it, here I am controlling it, here I am making it work, I had a good day yesterday, um, today, this and tomorrow. And so you get the sense of being reborn in that particular pattern, that particular mould, um, even in terms of Dharma practice. So it becomes maybe a good person. But then, is that, is that it? You know? Uh, a feeling of, you know, well, how long even can you do it, hold it together, and where's this going to go to? Being reborn as a Buddhist monk again, you know, which is better than being a pig, probably. Uh, I might be very good, or maybe I might be a very good pig after the merit I've made, but I'm still probably born as a Buddhist monk. Another, another fifty years ago, morning pujas and. Gruel. <laughs> All nice cities are gruel for another 50, 60 years. Do you really want to go through that again? <laughs> you know, well, you know, it's better than some things, but still, the Buddha would say this is you know, this is not the best ticket to be on. <laughs> so that sense of having something where one can come out from being oneself. We look at this, you know, even more kind of fine tick particularities, just notice when when you are holding your meditation object, or, you know, and when that holding is, is a re- is a comfortable holding. And of course we have to work on this. But then, working way in which you feel that really, you know, you're you're doing it. It's 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 your practice. Work, you know, see for the sense of enthusiasm with that. It's not just um, something got dished up, but you can, okay, you know, you you've made some preparations. You've done some some work on that to to make it fit. You feel comfortable with that. You now, the sense of comfort doesn't mean, you know totally at ease, but rather like when you're doing good work, or if you're, um, you know, you're going for a walk in the mountains or in the hills, and sometimes you sweat and strain and scramble, but you feel basically comfortable in yourself, no matter what the external impingements are like, they could be pleasant or unpleasant, but you can't really have much, much say over that, but you can have a say whether you feel good in what you're doing, you know. and this is really, really like a good way of considering One's practice, it can be hard work, but one feels essentially at the, at the level of citta. One feels, I'm, I'm pleased with this, I'm, I'm happy to be doing this, I feel okay with this. Yeah. So, you know, finding one's meditation practice of themes and ways of working that you can, you can get to, you can arrive at that, at that ground. Because, you know, uh, that's the place of where the f- 
you get the fruitions of piti, which in a sense of connection and uplift and enthusiasm, and sukha, which is a quality of you know, comfort, uh, easefulness, even if you're working quite hard, you know, the sense of being at ease within that, within that field of activity. Uh, yeah. And when we're contemplating the meditation object, then we can, uh, if, we, if we're arriving in that, those areas, in that area of connectedness, then we can you know, really allow that to inform us about the meditation object. And something I found myself just using the example of the breath, breathing in and out, you know, we focus on the breath, breathing in and out. So the assumption, for example, is, well, breathing in and out, something happens to my lungs, throat, nose, so forth. You know, well, yes, that's true. But then you're realizing the Buddha gave us a wider um, template for that. He didn't say, you know, breathing out through your lungs. He just said breathing in and out. You know, you're breathing in and out. So with that kind of permission, say, well, I'm breathing out. I feel something happen in my chest, in my belly. I feel a certain flush of energy. And you can build up. This is what happens for me. And you can build up your breath, staying very much within what the Buddha is teaching, and yet also putting your own sense onto that, how your energies move and change for you when you breathe in and out, which particular parts of your body seem obstructed or free when you breathe in and out, where do you feel particular tensions or physiological knots and how you can work around those. So in that process, it's not going to be just you know, switch it on and follow this thing which is exactly laid down for you and you can't deviate from the course. But there's a, there are parameters, but they're not that refined. You know? And so within that, staying within that theme, one could certainly, you know, breathe in and out through your feet, uh, breathe in and out through your back, you know, feel that particular lock in somewhere in your solar plexus and say just splash some breath around there or get a wide focus around your whole body at that particular place and just get your breathing into something vaguely rhythmic paddling away in the background that enables you to have a, a basic tonal reference to stay with. So you can, within that, I feel there's quite a lot of room to, to make it, it my own breathing, my own practice. Uh, and the breathing can either be very much right up there at the front, or it could be just something more in the background. I can operate different modes of attention around that, according to what seems to be needed. Um, you know, where the obstructions are, where the freedom is, where the joy arises, where the skillful dhammas arise. And one can, in this practice, maybe something particularly, you know, Theravadans tend to suffer from because of their, their kind of whole battle cry of being original and unwavering from the time of the Buddha onwards, and we do not do not flicker a whisker away from the Lord kind of thing, and which they've actually kind of made the Lord a little more tyrannical than he really was. And the Lord gave us quite a lot of space. But then we tended in Theravali to kind of ink in all that space <laughs> with commentarial canonical details. I mean, you know, you can only experience the breath at this point, you've got to have five of these moments before you get one of those moments. If you're not that you know, you're heretical kind of thing. And uh, so that, you know, in the the attempt, I hope to be, I hope it came from the idea of trying to be clear and helpful, 
all that space has got inked in. And I feel one's actually got to start rubbing out some of those, those, ink, those ink marks and, and say, well, fine, that's what happens for you, good luck, but this is what happens for me. <laughs> so that, you know, feel, not feel a sense of being deviant, but really trying to f- actually being, you know, trying to follow what the Buddha was offering us, which was, which was room to breathe. And often people, you know, we, we have so much bodily constriction anyway, and sense of shame and got to get it right and not very good, all that already pretty tightened up, that we don't need to, to tighten up the parameters even more from a sense of, you know, just, just buying into our sense of doubt and guilt and, and feeding them. So, you know, move away from those hindrances move away from those, those strategies of, of, of trying to be loyal, you know, no matter what, you know, it kills me. <laughs> um, but really, saying the Buddha, Lord Buddha did a, was a compassionate being, he did allow us, you know, this contemplative space to find our, our level, find our way. Now, when one you know, finds that way of working, really working with the breath rather than kind of gluing onto something, but really working with it. Um, and at the level of, of, of where, where the experience becomes more um, physiological and also touches into our emotive, uh, mental patterns, you get a sense of uh, the mental stuff coming up or the you know, the physiological stuff, um, the, the rhythms, the, the pulses, and the, the sense of the mind shimmering and wavering, you know, in skillful and unskillful dhammas. Then to say, well, now, you know, let what the breath can be any shape it likes, provided that it's skillful, connected, and acts as a base for... for um, Mindfulness. It doesn't have to be something that particularly, you know, only remains in one form. But the breath actually can change its shape. So you know, one can experience the breathing or the body seemingly like the the body can seem to be like a circle or a sphere. It can seem to be something made of light. The breath can be something that seems to be very subtle and just trickling or, or flowing through the body like like gas or steam or smoke. It could be something that feels rather like light. It could be something that's just a subtle tone, like a like a, um, a pulse in the background. You know? And so you can, you know, actually. But what it is, it still has the contains and is this, is the gathering place for the for the faculties of of samadhi, of calming, of steadying. And you have to let it take its own shape, because it. You know, it's not a shape that I can dictate from my head downwards or from a book downwards onto it. It has to arise out of how my faculties come, how this being's faculties come together and how they present that. Rather like, you know, my Buddha image is not going to look necessarily like this big one on the shrine here. And it may not be something I even visualise, but, you know, these, these impressions are, could be visual or just felt or mood impressions. 
of what what breathing is about. And you let it take its shape, you let the shape change in accordance with, with, uh, with what the parameters really are. With mindfulness, uh, vitaka vichara, um, piti, sukha. And this means then that those, uh, all the mental energies are then free from being held into a particular conventional mode. Or, or, or even a customary egotistical mode, but then one can, it frees up the space to experience one's own psychology, one's own emotive energy in its own, in, its, in a truer way. <coughs> so I noticed myself that you know, before I practiced uh, meditation or mindfulness of breathing, uh, then uh, you know, fairly sort of impassive, um, neutral, phlegmatic kind of person, you know, emotional, um, pretty monochrome emotionally. You know, a couple of tones there. You've had a few, okay, a little more livened up. That was it, you know. But then having practiced in the Panasati, I can see that, you know, grief, rage, joy, love, pain, tenderness. Sorrow, <laughs> wrath. <laughs> I mean, it's technicolor, you know. I thought this is supposed to be about calming you down, you know, more wired up than ever. <laughs> because it's like all that stuff, that emotional um, potency, was actually held by external contact impressions, you know, by, by being in a particular role or function or activity. It just kind of holds the whole emotive sense into a particular, for me anyway, into a particular sort of held down state and uh, you know you have ways of unconsciously that you one holds it down you know feeling a bit restless go and do something feeling a bit lonely go and be with somebody feeling a bit irritated then have a drink or something like that when you don't do that anymore then all this stuff starts to you know come out of the woodwork and you get an extremely colorful and florid experience and you know just trying to stand in the middle of that with your little book in hand saying Okay, you guys, I want you to follow the breath now. <laughs> no, 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 don't be like that. You be like this, you. They just say, oh, what's to you, mate? And all the sheep all over the field. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> so you can't just do it from this kind of, this is what it says in the book thing. It doesn't actually work. Yeah. It's because it's got no emotional attraction to it, no emotional richness to it. You've got to get the big sheep in there that you've built up, you know, who've got, you know, plenty of, who's attractive, big, woolly, fluffy, you know, you gather all the others around, and in a way, it has, it's of the same family as the, as the, as the rest of them. That's a significant bit. It's a sheep like they are, so they recognize it and come around. So it must have that same kind of quality, the emotive brilliance, um, even more emotionally brilliant than the, the hindrances, which have got some pretty flash colours to them. But it's got to have more than that you know, in order to, to attract them, to recognise this is the leader. So this is where, you know, coming out of oneself, one, myself, you know, I'm a fairly 
okay, passive, neutral sort of bloke, into you know my internal world. They doesn't can't work in there on that level. Being that kind of person, it's got to be a little more kind of um, you know full on, emotion, emotively uh, playful, agile, uh, brave, uh, warm, tender. You know the whole lot. And so the palette has to come out. It's got to be brighter and more agile and more with it than those frisky little defilements that are pretty sussed in many ways. So, you know, that's what you, you, you have to have the room to kindle and create that creature, let that creature grow. You know. And it's sometimes it's not necessarily what you think you are, and it's not what it, other people say it is either. You know, it's not what it is in the book, and it's not what it is in your head. It's somewhat, it's something other than that. It comes from meeting and uh, trusting and working and um, giving one's heart to it. Very much so. This is where, of course, again, when we might come back to our a very, you know, much repeated quality of refuge, of really giving one's heart, opening one's heart, feeling one can, feeling it's useful, feeling it's respected, um, valued, into into the life, not just as a sort of little puja thing, but as really a whole way of life. Because that's what's needed in order to to have access to one's, you might say, an emotive resource, a conditioned resource on the emotional level, which is uh, the where um, the turning point can occur in cultivating conditions to the fact where this conditionality becomes something that sort of has an autonomy to it. But then, as it gets bigger, it can start to take me to places where I wouldn't go. It can start to make me relax, and eventually helps this sense of me to begin to become much more um, diaphanous, permeable, amorphous, and you know, in due course, in terms of the the ability to really begin to to understand that, and and break the code. be held by the Dhamma. The Dhamma holds those who hold it from falling. Sadhu Karam Tatama Seh